Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of the Boiling Point podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale, and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. Hello, Dave. Hello, Emily. Good to see you. Your your office is looking, every time we get on here, it seems like it's more and more, there's additions to it. Like, I think, like, I don't know if there was that grandfather clock sort of shelf there. In the no, it's, uh, I'm still in the, yeah, in the process of moving in and then organizing how I want everything, which kind of changes every single day. So slowly coming together, feeling more settled in my new home. Looks very homey. Like it looks very you know, comfortable, looks very relaxing. Yeah. The place that I'm in right now is so different from the previous place that I was in. And I'm so happy here. And it does, it feels homier. My previous place was like super modern, really high ceilings throughout like the entire place where here it's, uh, yeah, it just feels cozy and it's incredible how much environment just kind of affects the way that oh, we yeah. feel. Totally. Totally. Like I know Natural light is so important for me. And so I like, I like to be facing if I can be facing a nice view or just anything to get some natural light. Like it would be really hard, I think, because it, it, it affects your, your mood and your emotions and your motivation, all those things. It's, it's really amazing. I agree. Yep. I feel it 100%. Yeah. And so with that, with all the natural light, how has your summer been? Oh, I can't believe how quickly we're moving into summer. So good. Lots of, you know, graduations, kindergarten graduation, middle school graduation, piano recitals, like, you know, a lot of kids stuff. So it's been, it's been pretty busy. And yeah. And then, you know, when you have a bunch of people coming over for parties and stuff, I was mentioned to you, you know, like things just start breaking down and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a first world problem. It's just the irony is so hilarious. Like it's just, so it's, it's life, but uh the main thing is everyone's healthy and happy. And my son, 16 years old, driving, managed to get in his first car accident with my car. So, and it was no one was injured, which was the most important thing, but um, it's written off. So we're, we're down the car. So it's just been one of those times, you know, where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of events happening. So that's, that's my life. How about you? Latest travels? Where have you been? Latest travels? I uh, actually just got back yesterday. I was up in Northern New Brunswick fishing for a couple of days and actually fishing with uh, Monica Dare, who has been a guest on the podcast before. She's been and... a host, guest host too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had a, incredible time. Her and I have been going up there. This was our third year in a row going up this time of year. And she finally hooked into and landed an Atlantic salmon. So it was a really special, magical moment. Congrats, Monica. What uh, what river are you on? On the Restigouche River. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy that it is like it's summer. You and I were chatting earlier of like where, yeah, how, how did it happen? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not supposed to timestamp this, but we're obviously doing that. So it is summer. You know, we are enjoying the, and, and it's sunny today and it has been raining like crazy, which is not bad if you were about forest fires, but not really doesn't, doesn't bring you to summer when it's kind of cold and wet, but no complaints, but we have a couple nice days. And I guess our guest will be coming to Atlantic Canada. Um, she was mentioning in just a quick conversation, we should invite her in. Yeah. So with that, Kira, welcome to the boiling point. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Hi. Hi. So you are calling in from Ontario, right? I am. Yes, I am in southern Ontario, the southernmost mainland tip of the country in Leamington, Brentfield National Park. It's beautiful down here. Nice and warm. Nice. And then heading to Nova Scotia tomorrow. Yeah, I grew up in Nova Scotia. We were a military family. So most of my formative years were in the Annapolis Valley. And I'm going for a conference in member to First Nation the Canadian Association of Native Development Officers, and uh, then visiting some friends. Amazing. One of my most favorite things about hosting The Boiling Point is obviously the people that I get to meet and reading their bios and then just having like so many questions of how, like even just what someone's role is and then the trajectory of what brought them into that career. So even with that being said, as you know, in The Boiling Point, we have our guests introduce themselves. So yeah, let's let's hear about Kira. My name is Kira Napkul. I am the CEO of KLB Consulting, and KLB is an economic development consultancy. But what makes us really special and what warms my heart to the work that we do is that we're a values-based consultancy. So we work with organizations or businesses that are owned by or serve historically excluded folks, BIPOC, women, LGBTQIA plus community and or businesses that have a sustainability mandate. So we get to show up every day, help make people's dreams come true and do something impactful in a world that I think really needs regenerative development. And uh, yeah, so it's the most fulfilling job that I could have ever imagined and well beyond my wildest dreams. And I have an amazing team underneath me and walking beside me that uh, is doing some spectacular work. Awesome. Maybe we'll start with what uh, Emily was, you know, like that. The other thing is like the path to, to to bring you to this place. Tell us a little bit about that. Like what what was it like? Is it a really interesting space to be in? And it, I don't think people probably grow up thinking this is what I want to be doing when I get older or, you know, I kind of enter my career or whatever. So what what brought you here? University was really formative for me. I started out with, as a psych major, which lasted for about 14 and a half seconds. Um, and, uh, I took a history class, uh, slavery in the Americas and then a civil rights history class. And I cried every class. It was learning about the tragedies of slavery and and what had happened in the generational impacts of sort of cultural genocide. I changed my major to history and I focused really on civil rights and then eventually in indigenous history and gender. So I was really impassioned about how I could learn about the past and do my part to ensure that it wasn't going to happen again, or that I could make an impact, or I could do something using particularly the privilege that I had as a a white woman to amplify voices of of those who had been excluded historically and tell stories that hadn't been told before. So 
that led me into a career in what I thought was a history job, but it turns out it was a job in, in economic development and tourism as the War of 1812 project facilitator for Southwestern Ontario. So the province had seven facilitators for the uh, commemoration of the War of 1812. And I fell in love with tourism. I fell in love with economic development. I got to meet lots of people. It was super dynamic. Uh, I worked with the communities, the Indigenous communities in Southwestern Ontario to co-develop events and uh, support the events that they're putting on and uh, initiatives. And yeah, that really stuck with me. It led into a career in municipal government, which was not for me. (laughs) It was, uh, I think, probably being so values focused and and so able to see systems of inequity, I realized very quickly that a lot of corporate systems are really entrenched in the patriarchy, in um, systemic sort of racism, colonialism. And it just felt like it was, the glass ceiling was real, I suppose. And I left uh, the municipal government to work for a First Nation as their economic development officer. And that was just probably the most transformative career move that I ever made. So working for the First Nation was amazing and exciting. And then COVID sort of rocked everybody around me. I started during COVID there, but I could see so many people around me that were struggling and there were supports available through funding, through uh, strategic planning. And I had that skill set and I realized that I had the opportunity to help those around me, um, not only in my own community of Leamington, but those who were disproportionately affected by COVID. So Indigenous businesses, um, BIPOC-owned businesses, um, LGBTQIA-owned businesses. And so I sort of took the leap and uh, started my consultancy. And now it's been a whirlwind and a tornado and magical. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how we can find those like little bits of beauty and magic within what can sometimes feel like a complete giant tornado. And yeah, absolutely. And you, you realize, I think, when you're in those moments of uncertainty, what is important to you and who is important to you. And and if there are any positives that came out of COVID is really helping people realize what is meaningful. And that was particularly evident in the tourism industry because it was decimated and you saw amazing things happen environmentally or as a community. And and this whole concept of community development that we've been pushing for so long really came to the forefront. And it was a really good opportunity for people to enter that space and support regenerative initiatives that help make the world better, help make the tourism industry a force for good. I can't say enough how transformative COVID was for me personally on that path forward. So the company was really born out of the pandemic and what you saw, you know, particularly disproportionately affected uh, and marginalized communities. And, And so as a result, you said, like, I got to do something here is what I'm guessing. And like, that's the origins of the company. Yeah, I used to be a photographer, hilariously. So I was a, a wedding photographer and KLB started as a, a photography company. We switched to branding. And then as part of branding, shooting photos, there were all these grants available. And I started writing the grants and then my network kept growing and I became known as a grant writer or, and then I, I realized that there was some massively transferable skills. So I had started out working, yeah, with some small businesses in the area on top of my full-time job as an economic development officer. And then 
the word of mouth spread and I started transitioning from photography. I started doing less and less and less of and economic development I started doing more of. And I was fortunate enough to win a couple of great awards. And I think that sort of also propelled the, the business forward because I lended some legitimacy to the work that we've been doing, my career path. And I think that really uh, helped us. So I'm eternally grateful for groups like the Economic Development Council of Ontario that gave me that award. And because I really think that it helps move us forward and shift us. That was um, top 10 economic development professionals. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, good for you. Thank you. It's funny, my company, Vision Coaching, was given an award. I don't know, I can't say we won it necessarily. I think there's a little bit of subjectivity, at least in this, through the uh, Board of Trade. And it was, to your point, was really helpful, you know, and it's important to celebrate who's doing kind of neat things in the community. And for us, it was an emerging award. So it was just kind of put us on the on the radar. I'm guessing something similar for you. But but that's the value in for me personally and of what I've seen and how why I want to support that. But you you saw that as a little boost for you is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I think the work that was being celebrated was work that I was doing on behalf of the community that I was working for at the time. And really it's it's their ideas, it's their work. I just helped facilitate it and I feel very comfortable. It, the award was a little bit, uh, not unnerving. It was uncomfortable for me because my role has always been as a support person. Like I just helped facilitate making my client's dreams come true. So that was a really humbling, I suppose, moment where I'm like, oh, this is very cool, but I would never be there without the ideas and the dreams and the follow through and the operational support of the organizations and the folks that I worked for. So it's, yeah, it's been, yeah, again, a whirlwind and really, really beautiful to be a part of this whole world and, and have the trust of the folks that I work with in order to take their business sort of wrap my arms around it. And I become really a part of what they're growing. And that's really meaningful to me. Well, and also being awarded one of Business Elite's top 40 under 40 recipients, which first and foremost, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so with that, in this like, you know, the power of being recognized and being given those awards. And I'm curious as to like, when you accept that, because like that is you, what are those things that you now recognize? or maybe not just now, but have recognized within yourself that makes it so that you are awarded that? I think I have a spirit of community. I think that's probably my superpower. I view opportunities, challenges as opportunities. I really believe in building partnerships. Um, I've had the extreme benefit of having a group of really, really powerful, strong women that are executive level women and, and we support each other and leverage one another's brilliance. And I think that I've just always approached things from a community over competition spirit. I recognize that I have, again, I've come into this world with an absolutely extreme amount of privilege and that I have a responsibility as a person of privilege to amplify stories from and use my privilege for good, I suppose, or to take a step back when needed and uh, support the work of, of people that are doing. So I, I really feel 
that's probably my superpower is just being able to build those partnerships, look at the positive side of things. I I think it's very easy in business to figure out all the ways that something won't work, but I think I have like an unnatural like lack of fear about taking risks and in my own business with my clients. I I think that I'm internally positive and, and looking for ways like if you can't do something, who else in your circle can that you can leverage. Yeah, I love that. I love that spirit of community. Like for people who, I mean, because I mean, like I know for and how important community is. And you hear so many people talk about that, but like, what are some ways that like you have been able to get yourself to a place where you are surrounded by the right people? Aggressive friendship making is, <laughs> I, uh, I'm an aggressive friend maker. So when I see somebody, you know, when you just feel that spark with somebody, I really try to throw the reservations to the side and I'm really forward. Like, Hey, I really think you're fantastic. And I would really like to be your friend or I'd like to collaborate with you. Or I think you're brilliant. And I always think that compliments shouldn't stay in your head. Like you should give people uh, compliments when they're due, or even if they're a stranger, (laughs) my best friend, uh, he and I used to, when we were in university, would stop random strangers in the street and like give them a compliment if we felt it. So we just felt like, you know, you never know when you're going to make somebody's day. But I, I think honestly, like it's this aggressive friend making and funny you asked the question because a colleague of mine, he calls my group of girlfriends, the tours and brat pack. Um, and he asked the same question, like, how does it, how do you get people into your group? And I said, oh, we just um, aggressively make friends. <laughs> And I think it's just being supportive of one another and realizing that you have so much more to gain from working with people. And unfortunately, particularly as women, we have been told for so long that there's only so much room for other for successful women. And that's driven by the patriarchy. It's driven by capitalism. It's and it's not true. There's enough room at the top for everybody. And it gets lonely at the top if you don't lean on the people around you that think like you and that support you. So I think we're revolutionizing. I like to say in my little group, we're a group of disruptors and we're revolutionizing the way that women exist in, in a corporate environment. And I cannot explain to people enough how important it is to surround yourself with people who uplift you and support you and think like you. Yeah. And the level of confidence that it takes to be that way of just saying like, Hey, like sometimes, you know, of like, you meet someone and you're like, yeah, we're friends. (laughs) I don't know if it's confidence or just like dumb luck and lack of fear or a combination of all of it. But you know, what's the worst they can say is no. It's funny you asked that Emily, because I was thinking the same thing to me, that takes a lot of confidence. And I'm just curious about the source of that confidence. Like where was that? Is this just part of your DNA? Did that come about? Uh, and I, I asked that because I, I'm watching my daughters grow up and it's just interesting to see, and, it, and it's probably not just, it might've been my son as well. It's just my daughters are younger, but you know, they're in that stage of life where they're dancing and everything is, they're feeling very free. And then all of a sudden something starts shifting, right. And then become a little more aware of just things that as a parent, you think are irrelevant, right. It's important to them though. And and you kind of see this little dip in comp, you know, this, these waves, and it's not all of us really, but I'm just wondering if you, if you look back at your life, where does that come from? Because I agree with Emily that 
maybe it's being naive, but I think it's, I think it's a lot of being very confident. A lot of hard work. Um, I grew up very overweight. I was bullied mercilessly as a kid. I was always happy and sort of like a little bit of a care bear, like just kind of showed up and with a smile on my face, always very sensitive and sort of emotionally intelligent, but a lot of work. Yeah. I work with business coach. I work with my therapist. I do a lot of self-compassion work. I certainly realize there's a difference between self-confidence, self-esteem and self-worth. And that's something that I work on really daily. I, I put the work in and it's taken a long time. Like I'm, I'm almost 40 now. And I can't say that I necessarily brought that to the table when I was younger. I really, I was a people pleaser. I've always been a people pleaser and um, learning boundaries has been really important, but yeah, I think in my generation, it's different. I think than my, my parents' generation where it's really celebrated, like doing that work on yourself and, and leaning into supports that are available But yeah, I mean, it hasn't been an easy road. I have a pretty severe generalized anxiety disorder. I struggled with substance abuse when I was uh, in my 20s. It it took a lot of work. And I think now just having a really good sense of who I am as a person and what is meaningful to me. And if I approach somebody with that spirit of kindness and spirit of reciprocity and love, and that's not returned, then that's, that's a reflection of them more than a reflection of me. But I think it took me a really long time to get there. Yeah. And thank you for sharing all of that and and for being so open with us and with all the listeners in that. And, you know, it's like I often, you know, as a coach, think of like, we can only take others as far as we're willing to go ourselves. And with you having this spirit of community and wanting to build up others so much, but it's like, you're able to do that because you have done the work and continue to do the work within yourself and just the power of that. And yeah, amazing. There's some great resources out there as well. There's a, an amazing self-compassion workbook by Kristen Neff. I would highly recommend it to anybody who struggles with that. I am really hard on myself and it's taken a lot of work to be okay with making mistakes. And especially as a CEO, as a consultant where people pay me to tell them what to do essentially and have a team underneath of me. That's something that I think is, is really important. Just being graceful with yourself. And it also helps to be graceful with the people around you and build a culture that allows people to make mistakes and learn from them. I think that's just so important. That's awesome. Because I mean, people forget, right? Like, you know, like you see someone who's winning awards and being successful and you just assume they've always been that way, or that's sometimes the stories we tell ourselves. Right. And yet we all, we've all had these incredible journeys and I appreciate you sharing some of the ups and downs because that's very helpful because I'm, I'm sure someone listening to it is thinking, oh, I can relate to that, you know, <laughs> or maybe I'm on the downswing, right? And it, things will come back, right? But it's that constant work. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. So you do a lot of work with DEI in the economic development landscape. So just an interesting kind of convergence. And I'm just curious about how that I guess maybe two passions came together, how you recognize the the opportunity there. I think that for too long, economic development has been broken. I remember attending a, a training session and the person who was leading it said, it's just all about making cash registers ring. And I, I came home and I said, to my partner, I don't know if this is the career for me. Like that just doesn't feel doesn't feel good to me. Um, There's so much more than making money. It felt gross, kind of like it it just felt icky for me. And I had an incredible mentor. He's actually out of the Gaspro Valley now in Nova Scotia, Celeste Bar, And he ran a session with our regional tourism organization called Ontario Southwest about experiential tourism development. And it was community-based approach to tourism to economic development, we looked at what's called donut economy, um, which really is rooted in sort of an indigenous economic development philosophy. And that changed my life. I was able to highly, I live in Leamington, which if anybody that's listening is familiar with Leamington, Leamington is the greenhouse capital of North America. So we have 30,000 people, and then at any given time, an additional seven to 12,000 international workers that come from Mexico, Jamaica, Thailand. So our community is really diverse. It's amazing. It's vibrant. But with the seasonality of the workers, the disparity in income, uh, it's over it's disproportionately men. It, it does create some socioeconomic challenges in the community. And when I started working for the municipality, I realized there's an opportunity to highlight what made this community so beautiful, um, which was its diversity. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to help coach people to tell their own stories. I did, I wasn't telling it for them. I wasn't in front of the spotlight. I was sort of the guide on the side in front of the, instead of the sage on the stage, I suppose. And that really opened my eyes to how I could play a supportive role. And then the DEI work is, it's interesting because there's a lot of debate about the role that white people play in diversity, equity, and inclusion as a career path, should we be teaching it and really listening? And what we have found with KLB is that A, procurement policies and procedures, so if they're going to RFP for, those are inherently biased. So BIPOC folks are less likely to be awarded contracts. People who don't have English sounding names are less likely to be awarded contracts. They're given less opportunities. And then that just keeps this endless cycle going where you see these huge firms that are 
recycling the same sort of material, they're winning because they keep getting awarded these things. So what we did as an organization was worked together with a group of really strong, amazing, capable folks who have lived experiences as people of color, as people in the accessibility world, Indigenous women, queer folks. And we came together as like this collaboration or this cooperative, I suppose. And my role in DEI has always been sort of helping the pieces move, like organizing the conferences or making sure that the the parts were moving. But I always feel like my role is to take a step back and allow the people with those lived experiences to take the take the stage and be paid appropriately for that knowledge and that work. That's really, really important. To answer your question more effectively, it's just so important. It's so important if you want to look at what a regenerative economy looks like, is that everybody's voice has a place. Everybody's voice is important and everybody is a part of your community. And we have an opportunity to do things different and do things better. And whether that be like from a a DEI perspective or a climate change perspective, the data is there to support that type of work. So our system is broken. It has been broken for a long time. COVID highlighted that. And it just takes people doing the work, like every day doing the work, slugging it out. And uh, I think we just need to have more of us coming along. Hmm. And have conversations like this, right? Where you can share things that maybe other like people aren't aware of, right? The RFP process, I think it's inherently broken personally as a small business owner with, with having the privilege I have without having some of the barriers. It's still really hard to compete. You know what I mean? And we were recently awarded something that I know t- 10 years ago, we could do the work. We just didn't have the systems in place to deal with the complexity of getting through this process <laughs> to the other end, you know? And then I, I find it really challenging when it gets to the federal government. So that's been my, my own personal experience, you know, having a very Canadian sounding name and all those sorts of things. Right. So I can, I can just imagine. So I, I love that you're tackling that from an economic development side because like leveling the playing field is, is the idea of an RFP process, but it actually, I found exactly the opposite. You know, the you know, kind of big four win typically all the time because they have proposal writing, RFP writing, you know, people that that's their focus, right? So what an interesting thing to tackle and shed light on. Holy cow. I have a very interesting anecdote about one time where I think our approach is almost there, but it didn't quite work. We had interviewed to do a strategic plan for an organization and in a similar collaborative model. And uh, when we got into our interview, I think it was down to us and one other company. They were like, how disruptive are you? Like, how progressive are you? So it, it was evident to me and it made me feel okay with the fact that we didn't get awarded that contract because I, I felt like there are people in the world that really genuinely want to see change in their organizations. And then there are people who say they want to see change in their organization so long as it doesn't actually affect anything in their organization. And that made it really easy for me to sort of swallow the pill of if we don't get something, because that's not who I want to be working with. And that's not who I want to align my values with. And increasingly, we're seeing more and more people, particularly at like a middle level of management, that are really committed to doing the hard work in their organizations. Yeah. You spoke of um, experiential tourism. What do you mean by that? Oh, my goodness. I could talk about experiential tourism all day. So. Experiential tourism is different than 
being a tour guide or having somebody um, come into your community and sort of be exploitative. What it is, is it's community-based. It is rooted in storytelling. It is where you work with folks in your community to host visitors. So it's high yield, which means that they run longer, they're more expensive, they're low volume. So it's not based on, uh, for a long time in the tourism industry, it was about tourism receipts. Like how many people can you get to your location? You see that in places like Niagara Falls. Or in the summer, I went to high school in Collingwood, which is right beside Wasaga Beach in, in Ontario. It's a huge tourist beach. And people would come from the city with a picnic basket full of food. Their tank was full of gas and they would sit on the beach for the whole day, free parking. They would leave their garbage on the beach and they would leave. They didn't, they didn't put anything into our economy. It was a drain on not only our resources, but it created a conflict between the locals and tourists, which I'm, I'm sure you see in any tourist town. But this is really, a, a, experiential tourism is a way to combat that. So you're using champions in your community, storytellers in your community to host people. Their stays will be longer. They will spend more in your community. And they're the type of people that align with that community development values. So you're building a population of visitors that are leaving your community better than it was when they arrived. I can give you a, some great examples of some I was tourism say, experiences. What are some examples. So yes, please do. So one of our experiences that we developed this year, we worked with Haldeman County, which is a, uh, a county sort of adjacent to Hamilton in Ontario, but an hour drive, hour and a half drive from Toronto. And we worked with four operators to develop experiences from idea to implementation. One of them is called the uh, Victorian House Guest Experience. So there's a historical home. It has been operating like what you would see as a traditional museum for a really, really long time. And that has been a challenge for them financially, um, keeping the doors open, keeping consistent staff. Uh, So we worked with them for this Victorian house guest experience. You walk in, you're greeted with somebody in um, an attire, period appropriate attire. You bake a loaf of bread, a hop spread with them. And these are, this is based on hops that used to be grown on the property back in the day. And then you get a chance while your your bread is in the oven, you get to go upstairs and make a seed wreath, which uh, was a way that they would have preserved seeds at the time. I don't want to give away too much of it, but um, you make this wreath and it's really hands-on. You get to use some of the old, we call it VR, Victorian reality, um, some of the video cards that actually would have been used during the day. And then you sit down and you get to eat some of this bread and then you have a high tea and there's a harpist playing. And so it's a, a three to four hour experience where you just really get to immerse yourself in that story, in that history. It's hands-on, you get, it's tactile. It's aligned with, um, if anybody here uh, is a teacher or has young children, like that's how kids learn nowadays. That's how we all learn is, tactile, experiential. It's been in the education landscape for so long. And it's just shifting those philosophies into the tourism landscape. And and people are willing to pay for these experiences. My favorite line is, what's ordinary to you is extraordinary to somebody else. So one of our experiences is an amazing chef, Rabia. She runs an Indian experience. So you get to cook with her. 
Um, you get to eat with her and dance and listen to stories about um, how she ended up coming from India to rural Haldeman County. What does local mean to her? And yeah, you just, you get to learn about people and you you feel like you're being led into their world, that they're really hosting you. You're a guest in their home, in their business. And it's pretty powerful stuff. You know what I find really fascinating about that, Kira? Like, and I, I love experiential. I, I never really thought of it, that that term, but I, I love the experience personally. What I found interesting is I grew up in the Yukon Territory and Dawson City's got some amazing things, you know, historically, you know, around the indigenous people and around the the gold rush and all this sort of stuff. So I'd lived there for years and it wasn't until I brought a friend up with me that I had a lot of these experiences being a local. Like, I just wonder how many, you know, and how many experiences I'm missing in New Brunswick as an example, right? Just because you start to live and you start to get used and you drive by things and you just, you don't actually experience them the same way. So, you know, it's not only people coming, but I think there's probably an opportunity for that 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 local tourism experiential tourism. Yeah, 100%. In my community, 77% of our visitors are called BFRs, so visiting friends and relatives. So when they're coming to visit, we can we can take them and there's so many things even in my community that I I didn't know about or I wouldn't have known about if I wasn't directly plugged into the tourism industry and great resources for that are your destination marketing organizations or your regional tourism organizations. So plug into those and put on your tourist hat for a day and figure out what your guests really like. If they're, I'm a huge foodie. I could eat all of my trips are based around food. So I know that I want to look for culinary experiences when I go, I'll do anything as long as it comes with food. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I plug into. I plug into food. I know all my friends are foodies and it's been a really great, not only good way to explore my community, but build relationships with people. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I had family here last weekend from Scotland, and they were talking about everything that they've been doing in Atlantic Canada. And the majority of what they have done, I was like, oh, <laughs> can you tell me about that? <laughs> because, <laughs> which, and I think that I've explored locally, but now there's still so much more uh, that has not been tapped into. Do you work primarily with Tourism Ontario or? I work with tourism operators around the country. Uh, so I, I used to be a business advisor for Indigenous Tourism Ontario. Right now I'm a mentor for Indigenous Tourism British Columbia. I work with municipalities, First Nations, Indigenous-owned and operated nonprofits. Most of my clients are in Ontario just by virtue of us having only been in in business for a year. And now all of a sudden I have like a group in British Columbia. And so it's been spreading quite, quite quickly. And yeah. Do you find that clients mostly find you or you find them? Yeah, mostly they find me. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that I work in an indigenous landscape, word of mouth, building that trust relationship, particularly as a white person, consultant, is a bad word in a lot of communities. Like it, it has a a long history of people coming in and really taking advantage of communities. So I take that trust that I have with the clients that I work with, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, but I take it really, really seriously. And I know that that word of mouth is paramount. I've been lucky that a lot of folks have come to me. That being said, I still bid on things. I still, there are still projects that uh, I'm trying to uh, get my foot in the door with different levels of government, um, if that that works for me, or there's still procurement policies and procedures that I need to follow. But yeah, I, I think that um, it's been a word of mouth thing. The tourism industry uh, and economic development industry is also quite small. 
on a national level, you'd be surprised at how many people know one another. So sitting in your integrity, making sure that you're making choices that align with your values, I think has been really, really integral to the success of KLB. Awesome. Well, I, I love hearing what you, I mean, references are the best source of new business. It means you're doing good work and establish trust very quickly because that's extended trust. So, you know, that's an awesome way to, to get new business. So how do people find out more about you and, and uh, what you do? And if we have listeners that are interested in hiring KLB or just would like to talk to you, how do they reach out to you? They can check out our website at klbconsultants.ca. They can reach out to me by email, Kira at klbconsultants.ca. We have four areas that we specialize in. One is um, economic development, so business planning, strategic planning, grant writing, and reporting. We are advisors to the Canadian Digital Adoption Program. So if people want to have technological adoption or experiential tourism development and tourism development. So those are sort of the four key areas that we focus on. So they can reach out to me, talk about their project, talk about what their needs are, and uh, we will host a, a call with them and see if we're a good fit for one another. Amazing. Thank you. And so at the end of uh, each podcast episode, Dave and I do takeaways. And so Dave, what is your takeaway from this conversation with Kira? <laughs> oh, there's there's a few. What really landed for me is just you know, the journey that, that Kara described, you know, getting to where she's at in terms of when we asked her about confidence. And I mean, there's all these other kind of offshoots, but that in particular just really landed because it's, it is a journey and it's a, it's a lot, it's hard work. And, and, and I love when people share that because I think that's, you know, it's a bit of a roadmap for other people. So for me, that, that was most impactful. Mm, yeah. It definitely stood it for me as well. What comes first to my mind is around the just the experiential tourism, but just experiences in general and how, you know, even in you saying just towards the end there about how it's like the tourism community nationally is so small. And it's like, when you just go in and kind of experience one thing, then what it opens yourself up to. And so even to go and experience a Victorian home and the way that they learn how to make bread and you're just taking that one experience but then ultimately, like all of the experiences from that moment that then will come from just going and exploring one little thing and really maybe even like how much do we even allow ourselves the opportunity to and now I'm kind of really just looking inward at that of like, how much do I allow myself to really just kind of fully experience something? It's like, yeah, go and like, I remember going and seeing like the Empire State Building and you're like, okay, I saw it. Like now what? How long do I look at it? How long do I <laughs> instead of like, yeah, what ultimately do you really want to be experiencing in it? So food for thought for me, that is for sure. Awesome. So I guess you do you do the uh, Yeah. So we're gonna list all of Kira's information and any extras we discussed in the show notes. And the best place to find all of that is on our website, which is boilingpointpodcast.com. We are active on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And this is recorded so you can see the video version on YouTube and Facebook. 
And of course, our podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So Kira, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, for giving us the experience of fully being able to experience Kira and, and, uh, and what it is that you are doing. And for ultimately, I think just being you and then being able to then show up for the community and everyone else. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kira. Thank you for listening. Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit boilingpointpodcast.com for more. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.